age of silence, of doubt, of questioning promises, yet something is stirring. Like a light in the darkness, hope arises. As the sun breaks through the night, a new day is upon us, the moment where everything changes. The birth of our Savior brings a thrill of hope, hope of salvation, hope of an eternal life with our eternal King, where all things are made new. Good stuff. Hey, can we thank the worship team? They do such a good job. I so appreciate all their preparation and diligence week in and week out. And they're going to come and, and bring the service together at the end today. So they'll be back up. But I'm just really grateful that you're here. Uh, again, Merry Christmas to you. We're a couple of days out. I'm really glad that you're here spending this weekend, this part of your weekend with us. I want to welcome you here in the worship center. Those of you out in the cold in the pavilion, welcome to you. And those of you are watching online, we're glad that you're here with us as well today. Well, and right. Thank you, Jen. Um, if you uh, want to do me a favor and get yourselves a little bit ready for today in your Trinity this week, you have some notes that look like these if you want to get those out that'll help you track with us a little bit better today. Also, if you have a Bible today, we're going to begin in the book of 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. It's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. So about seven books in. And chapter 15, if you want to find your way there, and we'll be there in just a second. As you're doing that, one of the things we've been doing this for about, I don't know, close to maybe even two years now, year and a half at least, a thing where basically we get our staff together and an opportunity to connect with you if you're relatively new to Trinity. We're going to be right out here at the Start Here booth at the end of the service today. Just a staff meet and greet is what we call it, and an opportunity to connect, get a name and a face. I just always love to get that opportunity to get acquainted with people and get a chance to hear a little bit of their story. And if there's any questions that we can answer, we'd love to be helpful with that as well. So right after the service this morning, uh, we'll be right out there. Well, you join us today on the last Sunday of this series, uh, Getting Ready for Christmas, called The Thrill of Hope. And that's what we've been kind of walking through each of these Sundays of December, is this great news of hope, this story of hope that we find in the arrival of Jesus. And, and that's what, as you go back and you think about Christmas as a child, go back to the seven-year-old you, and you remember that's what made Christmas Christmas, anticipation. You were looking forward to what was under that tree with your name on it. And as we're talking about our lives, our walk with the Lord, we are talking about both what's already been accomplished in Jesus' first arrival, and we'll see today what we're still looking forward to with great anticipation of his second coming. And so we're going to talk about living in those worlds. And, and last week, if you were here with us, that's what we did, is we talked about, I think, a very soulish kind of reality uh, not a very typical Christmas message, so I apologize if you walked out going, was that about Christmas? I'm confused. But we talked about kind of living between those two worlds, living in that tension of the reality of what Jesus did as he definitely fulfilled the hopes that God had given, the promises that he made in his first arrival, but Jesus also, in ascending to the Father, made some other promises of what was still to come, and we're living in between those two worlds. We talked a lot about 
this idea of living with inconsolable longings, meaning God has built you and I for eternity, and yet you're not able to engage that, able to experience that, this side of heaven, and, and you feel the pull. We talked about also within that these crucial longings that you were built for only Jesus to fill, and yet even when you and I know better, we still try to jam other things into that space thinking they'll provide satisfaction and they never do. And so we had a tone last week that was a little more of a glass half empty, but what I'm excited about today is the glass is way overfilled and flowing because we get to talk about the hope of heaven. We get to talk about leaning forward and expecting what God is going to do and anticipating that, that the God who makes promises is really good at keeping them. A book that we've been reading throughout this series is called The Biggest Story, and you knew I'd have to read some more today as we wrap it up, but here's three pages from the end of the book, and you can see it up on the screen. It begins with, as you can tell, this story is a big story. In fact, it's the biggest story. It's a familiar story to some of us. It's a true story for all of us, but we haven't seen the end of the story, not yet. We live in the beginning of the end of the story that we're still in the middle of. Yes, I need to reread that sentence, right? That's tricky. We live in the beginning of the end of the story that we are still in the middle of. We know it's not the end because we haven't made it back to the garden. We get glimpses of the garden here and there in our hearts, in our families, in the church. But anyone who loves this story longs to see the one who is at the center of the story. The snake crusher is coming back again to wipe away all the bad guys and to wipe away every tear. He's coming to make a new beginning and to finish what he started. He's coming to give us the home we once had and might have forgotten that we even lost. So, we, so keep waiting for him. Keep believing in him. Keep trusting that the story isn't over. God's promises never fail and the promised one never disappoints. One day we will see him. One day we will be with him. One day there will be nothing but the best days, day after day after day after day. And forever and ever, it will be a wonderful time to be God's children in God's wonderful world. Yay, God? Yay, God. That is good news, and that is the reality of what I want to talk about today, of what has been promised and what we do yet await and look forward to. Look up on the screen or in your notes. This is our now what statement. Because heaven is going to be worth it, remember often that he's pro what he's promised you as you engage your calling. Because heaven is going to be worth it, remember often what God's promised you as you engage what he's called you to. Number one in your notes today, the gospel is inherently forward-leaning. The gospel is inherently forward-leaning. Let me tell you what I mean by that. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, Paul writes, if only for this life we have the hope, we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. What a powerful set of words, a, a verse, 
We looked extensively at 1 Corinthians 15 last spring when we did a series called After This Life. We talked about all kinds of things that the Bible tells us that we can expect after this life. And we walked extensively. 1 Corinthians 15 gives more ink than anywhere in the Bible about Jesus' resurrection and the implications into our lives. And so Paul makes this really outlandish statement. If you believe that the reason why Jesus died, was buried, and rose again was primarily to make your life here better, you are to be more pitied than anyone on the planet. That's a powerful statement when you stop and think about that. And, and what we know from Paul's other letters, Paul was always forward-leaning. Paul went through so many challenges, he would recount them of struggles, of trials, of persecutions. And he would say again and again, man, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I much more prefer to be there, but he has me here for a while for you. So within this context, Paul was very forward-looking, and he wanted to remind other fellow followers of Jesus, Jesus did so much more than die and raise again simply for this life with this flesh and bones. He did it for the next, and that's what we are to continue to anticipate and look forward to. Think about that even when you responded to the gospel. You might not have responded, most people don't, to the very first time they hear about this incredibly good news of Jesus. It usually takes seven, eight, nine times. But at some point within that presentation of the gospel, you heard about the fact that there was a real heaven. You heard about the fact that by placing your faith in Jesus, you could actually be with him there for all of eternity rather than separated from him. That was good news, and you leaned forward when you thought about that and made that decision that that is something that you were excited to not just know about, but have promised to you. And I know that this is true for us. I mean, I know you know that idea, but here's the thing that I get impressed with in a negative way in my life and in yours of how long we can go for stretches of time and have zero, if any thought at all, about what's still to come. When I can go a day, a week, even a month without even considering the hope of the gospel in the fact that there's a new heaven and a new earth, that I'm gonna be with God forever, I sit there and go, God, there's something wrong with my perspective. There's something I'm deeply missing when the Bible says my citizenship is there, not here. And yet I begin to make my life very comfort-driven here. That's the implication, that's the problem. It's not just, oh, what a bummer. I haven't thought about heaven for a while. The problem is this becomes very comfy to me. This can become the end all of what I'm anticipating is this place when God all along has said this isn't it. You and I begin to live a life that isn't marked by hope, but of what can be held. And then we miss it. Look in your notes, you're missing the thrill of hope when you think of heaven as a parting gift rather than the prize itself. You're missing the thrill of hope when you think of heaven more as a parting gift rather than the prize itself. I remember growing up as a kid, my parents loved to watch game shows. Some of you might still watch them now. And you know that when the person who loses, what does a host always say? Oh, we've got some nice parting gifts for you on the way out. 
Okay, number one, here's what's true. You lost, and you don't get big money. And the funny thing that's great is they usually give you a board game version of the very game you lost. So you can get better at it at home, I guess is the point. So here's your parting gift. And the problem is, as Christians, we often think, God, I want this and that, and I have this ambition on this life, and oh, when I die, I guess I'll go to heaven. And when we have that perspective, we have completely missed the point. Heaven is the prize. Heaven is what this is all leading to and forever about. This is a very short, brief moment, but that is forever. And that's where our gaze, that's where our attitude, that's where our striving needs to be for things that make sense there. Now, here's the thing. I would absolutely expect that if someone didn't, if they hadn't responded to the invitation of the gospel, if they didn't have the hope of heaven, I would absolutely expect them to live for whatever they can get out of this life, thinking there's nothing beyond the grave. But the Bible tells us different. The Bible tells us different and tells us different that not only beyond the grave is there something for those who put their faith in Christ, a real place called heaven with him forever, but the reality also talks about an existence apart from Jesus forever in a real place called hell. And so the reality is for people who wouldn't think beyond the grave, I get it, but for us, oh Lord, that is not at all what we want to be thinking or how we want our perspective to be. I will say, I don't think there, in my experience, I can't remember a series that has had greater implications in my own personal life than the series I mentioned a minute ago when we did the series last spring called After This Life that was fueled a little bit by my own understanding or, or just awareness of the fact that I don't think enough about heaven. And as a result of that series, I have found myself now numerous times in these last six months thinking on the fact that when I go through really challenging, difficult trials, God, thank you, that's not gonna be a part of my next experience because I don't need my faith to be any more perfected because my faith will be sight. God, the sin that gets in my life and is around me, the brokenness everywhere, God, thank you that I won't be around any of that reality and nothing will keep me from you. God, when I go through the challenge of loss and I experience a separation from the people I love, for those who put their faith in Christ, God, thank you that I'll be reunited with them. These are the things I remind myself of often since that last series, and it's so good to continue to reflect and be thoughtful of this reality of this is not my home, but that one is, and it's coming. Now, when you process these kinds of ideas, what this should do is develop within us not only an anticipation but a desire to go, God, I want to live your life now. You have redeemed me. You've made me yours. Let me live according to your plan. And though we wouldn't want to draw a lot of theology from the theologian named Buddy the Elf, watch a little bit what he does in terms of anticipation and preparation for a guy named Santa. Take a look. Now, what I love about Buddy I wanted you to catch was not only his anticipation, unbridled joy. Santa's coming but on top of it, his preparation. 
Look what he did all night long working to be someone who was going to be ready when he came. And, and maybe we should get a little bit better theology from our friend C.S. Lewis. This is how he said it. <laughs> Hope means a continual looking forward to the eternal world. It does not mean that we are to leave the present world as it is. If you read history, you will find the Christians who did most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Number two in your notes today, the people in your world will notice your hope when you live in light of it. The people in your world will notice your hope when you live in light of it. First Peter chapter three, verse 15, a verse many of us know well, this is what it says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, many of you love apologetics. And by the way, I wanna continue to define terms. I remember the first time I was at a conference and I'd heard the word apologetics. This guy was talking to me, I said, I don't apologize to anybody about Jesus. And he's like, no, that's kind of not what it means. Apologetics is the idea of giving a thoughtful answer and thoughtful statements about the truth of God's word. That's, that's what that is, that whole genre of thought. And for those of us who love apologetics, man, you have that verse not only memorized, but it's the foundation of what moves you, drives you to want to not only know better the God in scripture, but to be able to talk about him and share the truth of him better with others. And I love that. I love that very much. But notice one really important aspect of this verse that's really kind of a foundational verse for most people when it comes to apologetics. A really important thing about being prepared is that it's a response to someone asking the question. It's a response to someone personally asking you the question. Look at the phrase again. To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Two really big ideas come out of this verse. First off, are the people that you're doing life with asking you questions about your hope? And secondly, are you living in such a way that biblical hope, remember, hope itself of just wishful thinking is not a biblical hope. Biblical hope is a confidence in God's promises. Are the people in your life, are you demonstrating to them, showing to them that you truly do have a biblical sort of hope? Now, those are convicting questions for all of us, no matter if you're someone interested in apologetics or not. Are the people in your life asking you questions about your hope, and are you living in such a way that demonstrates the biblical notion of hope? If we're honest, most people most likely that you do life with, they know you as religious. They know you of the fact that you go to church a lot and they know the idea you don't decorate much for Halloween. <laughs> it's kind of the, the reputation that maybe many of us have. But here's the question, do they recognize God's hope in the way that you live, in the way that I live? I'm all for developing thoughtful statements when people would challenge the accuracy or the authority of God's word. But I wanna tell you this, I honestly don't think that 1 Peter 3.15 has much to do with apologetics when you understand the audience to whom Peter was writing. 
Peter was writing to a group that were spread out all throughout the known world and people who loved Jesus and as a result of their love for him were being persecuted by the dominant world power known as Rome. It was to a people that were being dragged off and put in prison. It was people whose businesses were being confiscated people who are being separated from their children. These are the people that Peter is writing to and he's saying to them, when they notice that you are not giving up, when they notice that you have a hope in your perspective on your face that they can't explain, be prepared to tell them why. And while they might not have had incredible defenses for the existence of God, they could very easily say, because I have put my hope in the God-man Jesus. That's what I think was going on with the group of people that Paul was writing to. Look in your notes. You may not be being persecuted for your faith in Jesus. Maybe the target of a social media rant once in a while or people who just think you're nuts. You may not be being persecuted, but people will see your hope for heaven when they watch the way that you suffer and how you deal with pain. People will be able to see your hope for heaven when they watch the way you suffer and how you deal with pain. In my short time at Trinity Church, we've talked a lot about God's purposes in pain. While that doesn't make the pain go away, it really does help you understand God is up to something. That really helps me. And one of those purposes that we talked about relates to the idea of actually what kind of a testimony, what kind of a statement, what kind of a demonstration that makes for people in your world. Those who know and love Jesus, they see an example in front of them that they would say, I didn't know what it looked like to suffer well till I watched him, till I did life with her then I was able to see how you put your confidence in a God that you've said is your savior. For an unbelieving world, for people who are yet unconvinced of who Jesus is, when they watch you suffer, they see something altogether peculiar because they don't know what to do with a heaven-bound hope that sees well beyond your circumstances right here and right now. And it causes them to wonder, what do they have? Where have they put their hope that I don't yet understand? That I haven't yet responded to myself? That kind of influence is a big deal. It's a big deal because that's the kind of person that you're called to be as you follow Jesus. Not just when you are soaring on the mountaintops, but even when you're crawling through the valleys. We talk a lot here at Trinity Church about your relational world, the people that you do life with. And when that world begins to enlarge, becomes a bigger group of people than you even wanted in there, people like doctors and surgeons, people like lawyers and judges, people like step-siblings, you never wanted to be a part of the equation. When those people come into your world and you demonstrate a Jesus-centered hope, these people have a front row seat to watch the way that you deal with challenging times, to look, see what it looks like when you suffer with Jesus. Though there are so many people at Trinity Church who have done this well and who continue to do it well, Two that are especially on my mind today are my friends Ryan George and Mike Every. 
totally different circumstances, but they have been working, people in the medical field are now a part of a front row seat in their lives, and they are watching these men and their families continue to demonstrate a hope that is not based on a better prognosis here, but a hope that is deeply grounded in the reality of heaven there. And that is a powerful thing, a great example to me, a great example to us. And while you might be here today and might not be in that kind of valley, you still have the opportunity to express and demonstrate what we've been talking about all month, the thrill of hope in everyday life with the everyday people you do that life with. And we think that's so important that as a staff, we've identified that as one of our six core values. You can see it up on the screen. Your calling is to influence your world with Jesus. Your calling is to be a person of Jesus' influence. And the great news is we have incredibly rich opportunities to do that at Christmas Eve. Just like I said last week, at every exit when you walk out today, there's an invitation that you can personally hand to someone in your world. Or you might want to do that digitally through our website. We have that share page. I put up one of those digital invites today on my Instagram and Facebook accounts. Because it's just a great way to be able to say, hey, would you join me? Because I want you to know that when we think of Christmas Eve, we think of an incredible entry point opportunity. People who might not be convinced of Jesus, but maybe as children went to religious services, maybe people who are just kind of curious or just love holiday things like holiday programs, they would actually be open and interested. I invited two families to come to Christmas Eve. Both of them said, we'll be there. It's not as hard as some of us make it out to be. And just saying, hey, I'd love for you to attend Christmas Eve services with me at Trinity. Use that Jesus influence, use that opportunity as a person to be able to say, hey, I'd love for you just to come and see what this is all about. And the reason why we get, why we talk about it often is because that's what we've been given. That's what living out our life here with a citizenship somewhere else, we're meant to be a people on mission. Rick Warren, the founding pastor of Saddleback Church and the author of The Purpose Driven Life, He's probably one who's very well known for coining these five purposes of the church, and I'd say five purposes for every believer, that of worship, discipleship, ministry, fellowship, and evangelism. But when it comes to the prioritization of sharing with people now this great news of Jesus, listen to how he talks about that in relation to the other five purposes. He says, have you ever wondered why God leaves us here on earth with all its pain, sorrow, and sin after we accept Christ? Why doesn't he just zap us up immediately to heaven and spare us from all this? After all, we can worship, fellowship, pray, sing, hear God's word, and have, even have fun in heaven. In fact, there are only two things you can't do in heaven that you can do on earth, sin and witness to unbelievers. I ask our church members which of these two they think Christ left us here to do. <laughs> it's a great thought. Why am I still here? Which of these two should I be engaged in? We have a mission on earth, and part of it includes telling others this great news about Christ. Finally, today in your notes, number three, Christmas is about God arriving into our world. Jesus' return is about us being brought into his 
Christmas is all about God arriving into our world, but Jesus' return is all about us being brought into his. 2 Peter 3.13, but in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. In keeping with his promise, are we a people who believe that God is good at keeping his word? A people who would say, God, you promised X. I'm going to keep putting my faith and my hope and my confidence that you are going to do X. A common thread that we've said throughout this series about Christmas has been that as a a group of people 2,000 years ago were anticipating his first arrival. We live on the other side of that arrival as we anticipate his second. So in a way, we have something in common, and that is we are still called to be a people living out of hope. And what Jesus came and did by living that sinless life, by dying that sacrificial death, by being raised supernaturally on the third day and then ascending to the Father, he accomplished everything he came to do and yet promised to come back for us promised to receive us to himself. And when he comes back that second time, the Bible talks about even though he came in amazing glory the first time, angels were singing, announcing his arrival. He's going to come back with a different kind of glory the second time. From Revelation 19, verse 11, John writes, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Spoiler alert, this is Jesus. With justice, he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and and his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's no sweet baby Jesus coming back a second time. And I want you to hear this as you were listening to that description. If you're someone who's put your faith in Jesus, that passage gives you confidence. That passage gives you a sense of anticipation. But if you're here today and you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, that passage rightfully so causes a deep sense of concern. Because that Jesus is coming back, King of kings and Lord of lords. That Jesus is coming back to conquer. That Jesus is coming back to settle accounts. And so I would say to you again, this is like the third time in this service alone. If you haven't yet put your faith in Jesus, don't hesitate. Because you want to be on the other side of that Jesus coming back. And when you do, when you recognize that Jesus is who the Bible teaches him to be and what he's going to come back like, you will absolutely be convinced that heaven is worth it. Look just a few few verses up in Revelation 19 about that wedding feast of the Lamb I mentioned last week. 
John writes, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb and added, these are the true words of God. When you are gonna be sitting around that table anticipating this union of what you've been waiting for, you will be absolutely convinced that heaven is worth it. And then when you consider the time when God actually makes all things new, Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Watch this. Remember last week we said Jesus invited people, if you're thirsty, come to me. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this and I will be their God and they will be my children. When you experience firsthand the presence of God, you will know that heaven is absolutely worth it. And then I want your help as we finish this last passage. What does it look like to begin to live in that new kingdom? From Revelation 21, 22, read it with me. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And when you engage that, when you engage walking in the kingdom of God, you will know that heaven is absolutely worth it. Yea, God? Yea, God. Yea, God. Amen. So within this reality, as we process this, here's what this brings us to. When we realize that the hope of heaven is sure, in the in-between time then, that gives us the ability to say, God, I don't want to allow sin any longer and its short-term pleasures to be something that I make my life about. Instead, I want to go to you, the source of living water and find drink. 
God, in the midst of the challenges and the times of suffering, remind me it is so going to be worth it because it's not something that's gonna be a part of my life forever. And finally, when you waver, when you go, God, I just don't know if you're good for your promises. I've been waiting so long. Let these words remind you the fact that he is trustworthy. He is reliable. He is absolutely faithful to complete what he began in you. In your notes, you can wait well. You can wait patiently because God has in, what God has in store for you is so totally going to be worth it. You and I can wait in the meantime because we know what's coming. In your Trinity this week, you have another card. Each week, each Sunday in this series, we've had a prompt for you. And in just a moment today, we're gonna give you some time and space like we've given you in these other Sundays to take a moment and to respond. And the great thing is what we're gonna ask you to do is not just write something down, but actually take it outside and go against this west side of our, our building. And you'll see these four big letters that spell the word hope. We found out week one, there's not enough wood. We covered the thing. And so in these last couple of weeks, we've just said, take one of the pins of what's already there and just put this on top. It kind of creates a narrative from the last three weeks. And you'll see the prompt today. I have hope for the future because. There's no right or wrong answer. This is your card. And I would encourage you in just a moment to write that out. I would even encourage you to put a name on it. When you go out today and when you pin this to that hope wall, I would just encourage you, take a read. Just take a moment and look over some of these comments that people have shared so honestly, so vulnerably, and so hopefully. So I'm gonna pray for us. And after I do, during the instrumental time, I'd love for you just to fill this out. And then after our last song today, you can go take that over to the wall. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today as a people who have every reason to live in, to bask in, to rejoice in the hope you've given us. Hope not only to know you and be known by you, not only to be loved and adopted into your family in this life, but got a hope for eternity where we will be with you celebrating around your throne forever and ever. It is so absolutely going to be worth it. So in the in-between time, God, would you give us hope, the thrill of hope that gets us through every single day, anticipating, leaning forward to what you have in store for us, what you have told us we can depend upon. And in the in-between time, God, would we be a people who live not just in hope anticipating, but in hope preparing, living out your mission as time is short, but eternity is long. Thank you so much for these words, God, that move us, that encourage us. Let us live in light of them this week. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' awesome name. Amen.